that we have overcome the evil one. And we do that because it's the blood of Christ that is our victory over sin and death. And hallelujah, praise God for what he has accomplished through that wonderful blood of, of his son Jesus. I invite you to open up your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 2. As we continue our study through John's letters, 1 John is towards the back of your Bible there, almost to the very end. Uh, we are in chapter 2 this morning, starting at verse 28. The uh, sermon is called The Children of God. And Speaking of children, school started back this week, and, and uh, there are many months ahead of, of toil and, uh, and of difficulties and just seemingly insurmountable odds, but there is something, I think, that motivates all of our students as they begin this school year, and that motivation comes through the expectation that, that summer's coming again. You know, you, you labor and you do what you got to do now and you, you go through all the difficulties because you have hope. Eventually, summer break is coming again at the end of this and it'll all be worth it. You know, as believers in this life, we deal with difficult times, don't we? As we shared prayer concerns earlier, many expressed uh, burdens that they are carrying for themselves, for others. Uh, there is physical pain. Uh, there is emotional pain, heartache, separation, uh, all kinds of worries and anxieties that we deal with. And sometimes we wonder, is it worth it all? But as believers, we know it will be worth it when Jesus comes back. Everything will change. and All things will be made right when Christ returns. And so John is writing in what we see this morning to give us this hope and to let the hope of Christ's future return drive us to righteousness in our lives now based upon what Christ has already done through the blood that was shed for us and based on the reality of His second coming. Let's let our hope for the return of Christ in the future motivate us to live holy lives as God's children now. I want to invite you to stand with me if you are able to this morning out of honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy word. So we are in 1 John chapter 2 starting at verse 28 this morning and the Apostle John writes these following words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all that has transpired already this morning as we have gathered in your name. Thank you, God, for the ordinance of baptism and what it symbolizes for us, this new birth of becoming a child of God. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful singing that we have engaged in and that we have heard. Father, for the opportunity to give a portion of what you have given us. Father, to fellowship, encourage one another. Lord, it has been a blessing to be in your house today, Lord, and that blessing continues now as we open the Scriptures. God, because as we open this book, we read your words, your message to us. And I believe your message today is meant to encourage us.
as we put our faith in Christ, we are your children. It's also a message to motivate us, to challenge us to live that reality, to reflect your righteousness and your purity to this world. Father, let this message penetrate our hearts. Make us more like Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated at this time. John has told us, as we looked at the last passage in verse 18 and following, that it is the last hour in the presence of Antichrist, those who oppose Jesus and his message and his church, the presence of those Antichrists signal to us that it is the last hour. These are the last days. And now John is writing to tell us that we need to be prepared for God's next events on his calendar, and that is the second coming of our Lord. And what we see all throughout Scripture is that doctrinal reality brings moral responsibility. As we know the doctrine and the truth of what Jesus has done for us and who Jesus is, we know that carries with it a responsibility to live a certain way as Christians. And that doctrinal reality of the second coming of Jesus gives us a moral responsibility to live like we are truly saved, to live like we do have hope in His coming, no matter what we must endure in this life. John says that God's children are ready for Christ's return. And how do we know if we are God's children? And what are the characteristics? Well, John, first of all, says in verse 28 and 29 that God's children are born of Him. They are born of Him. He starts verse 28 with a familiar phrase. He says, now, little children. This is the first time he's addressed the audience there as children. Go back to chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children. Verse 12. I am writing to you, little children. Verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. Verse 28. Now, little children. Based on everything he said up to this point, now based upon what Jesus has done, based upon the fact it is the last hour now, little children, there are some things that you need to do. There are some character traits you must have. There are some birthmarks, if you will, of being born of God. First of all, there's the birthmark of continuance. Continuance, verse 28, Now, little children, abide in Him. The word abide means to remain, to stay, not to leave. Abide, it is a present imperative. That means it's a command. As God's children, He issues that command to us. We are to obey. That command is abide. Stay. Don't leave. Don't desert. Remember, you already talked about those who left the fellowship to chase after another doctrine, another Jesus. He says, don't be like them. Abide. Stay. Remain in Him. It's a present tense. That means it is to keep, you are to keep doing this. It's not just a one-time thing. We are to always continually stay abiding in Him. We are to remain in the true faith, in the true Christ. We are to be fully trusting in Him and His gospel message until the end. It is the last days. Therefore, remain in the faith. Remain in Christ. The birthmark of continuance. There's also the birthmark of confidence. Verse 28, he says, Abide in Him so that the of remaining in Him so that when He appears, not if He appears, but when He appears, there's that doctrinal reality. When Jesus comes back, you need to stay abiding in Him so that when He does, we may have confidence, not cowardice, 
As you think about the return of Jesus, how does that make you feel? Does that excite you? Does it thrill you? Are you ready for that? Are you praying for that? Or does it cause you to have a sense of hesitation? A little sense of anxiety? Of, oh, I hope I'm not doing fill in the blank when Jesus returns. Not a sense of cowardice, but a sense of confidence. He says, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame. One of the side effects of sin is shame, of guiltiness. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned against God. Chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 10, it says that we hid from you because we were naked and we were ashamed. It was that shame, that cowardice, because of sin that led them to shrink away from God. And we need not be like that when Christ returns. If we are God's children, we will be confident, not in ourselves, but in Him, because we are abiding in Him. And so that when He returns, He finds us remaining in the faith. We have confidence and not shrink away at His coming. And then verse 29 shows us the birthmark of compliance. We comply to Him in our moral character. He says, if you know that He is righteous, if you know that He is just, that He is true, that He is holy, that He is morally pure, if you know this about Him, then you also know that everyone who also practices righteousness practices is continual present tense everybody who keeps on living the right way everyone who strives to please god to reflect jesus in their lives everyone who also practice righteousness is born of him he is born of him that word born it's an interesting word for us it's it's really dealing with the the fruit of this is righteousness in our lives and the the root of that fruit is the fact that we have been born already of him it's not that because you are righteous that makes you born in him no it's the other way around if you have been born of him you will practice righteousness you will not bail on morality the word born there is in the perfect tense that literally means something that has already been done with ongoing effects Something that's already been accomplished. We've already been born. If we are practicing righteousness, we've already been born of Him. And it wasn't something that just happened in the past. It's something that has ongoing effects. The New American Standard translated is born of Him. It means we are still born of Him because we've already been. And those, and those benefits and blessings and those obligations of what has already taken place continue on. We have been born of Him already. That word been born is also a passive verb. That means it's not something we cause ourselves to do. It's something that is done to us. Being born of Him. My children like to hear stories about the days that they were born. In fact, I told them, I said, Daddy's going to talk about the days you all were born. And they were like, yay! You know? So they were excited about this. But, you know, each, each child is a different story. Logan was born on Mother's Day. He was 12 days early and knew exactly the day that he was to come. Came on Mother's Day. It was on a Sunday morning, about 15 minutes before church started. And, and so he was born, and I was able to call my congregation and tell them the news, and I was able to hear the applause over the phone as they announced that. It was, it was just a, an awesome moment as Logan was born. And with Kylie, she, it was on a Friday afternoon, uh, we went to the hospital, 
They thought it was a false alarm. They were about to send us home. And then shortly thereafter that, Kylie was born. If we had gone home like they told us to, she would have been born on the side of the interstate. <laughs> and then with Jaden, he was literally coming out feet first. That child has always done things his own way from the very beginning. He's like, I know I'm supposed to come out head first. No, I'm going to come out feet first. You know, he's his own man. He's always been that way. But each of our children, there, there's unique stories about the days that they were born. Just like us, if we're born of God, we all have unique stories of how that came about. But there is a common thread to the fact of all three of my children. They were born not because they just all of a sudden said, you know what, I want to exist. I want to make myself be born. It was something that suddenly life was just thrust upon them. And that's the way it is with us when we are born of God. Jesus spoke about that in John chapter 3. Speaking to Nicodemus, he told him in John 3, verse 3, he says, no one will see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. A second birth. And Nicodemus said, how does that happen? How does, does one you know, go back inside their mother's womb and make this happen? And Jesus said, no, it's like the wind that blows. You don't know where it's coming, where it's going, but you see the effects of it. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit, Jesus said. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, the new birth regeneration. God does something supernatural in our hearts through the preaching of the gospel. Suddenly life comes where there is spiritual death. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2. It's a glorious thing that God's children are born of Him and we see these birthmarks of abiding and confidence and practicing righteousness. God's children are born of Him. But also, chapter 3, verse 1, shows us God's children are beloved by Him. We are beloved by God. It says, see, behold, notice, spiritually perceive. And this is a command. It's like John is excited about this idea of being born of God. He says, I want you to see this. I want you to notice this. And, and oftentimes we think about, yeah, we are God's children. God loves us. And, and that this somehow doesn't really register with this as much as it should. And John says, see how great a love the Father has for us. The word love there, agape in the Greek, it's a supernatural, divine love. It's not like anything else this world can manufacture. It's an all-powerful love. An unconditional love. How great a love. How magnificent. How, how glorious. How remarkable. The song that Sherry played during the offertory. Oh, how he loves us. Stop and think about that. How great a love the Father has bestowed on us. That, that speaks about our spiritual adoption. That God bestowed on us a love that we did not deserve. We were not His children. By birth, originally. We were born in sin, as Scripture talks about. Receiving the curse from Adam and Eve separated from God and desiring to go our own way and then suddenly through the new birth of God we are adopted into His family that the Father bestows upon us. He, he, he lavishes on us. He gives us something that we don't deserve, something we never had. And yet it's fully given. It's bestowed on us that we would be called children of God that we would become blessed, that we would become part of the family, that we would be 
taken care of by our Heavenly Father. I watched a sitcom this week where the kids all got sick and then mother got sick too and it was up to the father to take care of the family and the, and the kids were all like, we don't want you, we want mom, you know. And he was just kind of clueless and fumbling through that. We have a Heavenly Father that's not that way. We have a Heavenly Father that knows exactly what we need, when we need it, and He provides the full amount of love, an abundance of love and care, compassion for His children. And John says that, that we would be called children of God. We would be called. We've already seen that, that John has emphasized throughout this letter this idea of we versus them, us versus them, those who abide in Christ, those who remain in the true teaching of the apostles versus those that go out and chase some other doctrine, those that chase some other Jesus, us versus them. He said that we would be called children of God. Who would be called children of God? Those that abide in that true teaching. Those who stay true to the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. The adoption shows that God loves us. also leads us to have, we ought to have a spiritual appreciation for this. John says, How great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. We are. Pause and think about that. M meditate upon that truth. We are His children. That should give us a sense of humility. We've already said we don't deserve to be God's kids. But yet he, he adopts us and He loves us and He brings us into the family. And that should humble us. It also gives us a sense of security because I'm in God's family. I'm in God's hands. I'm in God's arms. If God is for me, who is against me? If I am in God's family, I have nothing to fear. Even the judgments, the return of Christ, I'm God's. And He loves me. And I don't deserve it but I am safe in the hands of my Father. Also, it should give us a sense of availability to know that God has loved us and God has adopted us. It should lead us to be available and ready to serve Him. I've been reading the book of Acts and I've been struck anew about the readiness of His people that God would call them to specific places to say specific things to specific people and sometimes they didn't always get it or sometimes they didn't always want to do it, but they did it anyway. There was a sense of readiness, appreciation, knowing who they were in Christ and saying, God, if you call me, I'll go. Our spiritual appreciation. But also John talks about our spiritual alteration in verse 1. He says, for this reason. For what reason? Our new birth our new sense and our new code of morality, of right and wrong, of, of righteousness, for this reason, he says, the world does not know us. We look weird to the world. You really believe that? You mean to tell me you think that's wrong? You think that's unacceptable? It's weird. Everybody else thinks it's cool. Everybody else is all right with this. Society says this is normal. But you're out there living this way and, and they look at us like we're freaks. John says the world don't know us. Why? Because it says it did not know Him. When Jesus was here, they turned on Him, the Son of God, the Creator. 
And they turned on him. They didn't know him. In fact, they were hostile towards him. We read that in verses 15 through 17 about the world versus Jesus. And if we follow our Lord, we will look strange. We will be distinctive. We will stand out like a sore thumb. And that's a good thing. Sometimes being weird is good. Now, there is a football player for the University of Michigan. He is an All-American football player. plays, uh, ironically, the position of tight end. And his name is Jake Butt. B-U-T-T, you know. It's a, you know, ironically, tight end, Jake Butt, you know. You, you can't write this, but, you know, you would imagine he's the butt of a lot of jokes, you know. But they were asking him about this. They were like, you know, you got a weird name. And he said, you're telling me something I don't know, you know. And he said, you know what, somebody who has a name like that, they could either look at it as a negative and say, you know what, I'm going to have my last name changed. He said, for me, I embrace it. He said, it's unique, it's different, it's funny. It gives me my own brand, my own opportunity to market myself. He said, I love my last name, even though people think it's weird. No, we have been called children of God. And we need to live like it. And the world says, that's weird. And and we are the butt of jokes because of what we believe and how we live. But you know what? We need to embrace that. Because the Father has loved us and He has demonstrated that through sending His Son to die for us and to shed His blood to forgive us and bring us into the family even though we don't deserve it and to have holiness and to have righteousness and to have this new birth and new life. We need to embrace this. We will know that we are beloved by Him. Finally, God's children become like Him. Verses 2 and 3, we become like Him. In other words, we are maturing into Christ's image. We become more like Jesus as we grow in the faith. At least we should. And how do we become like Him? First of all, through justification. It's a big word, but it teaches a wonderful truth, a valuable truth we need to understand. Justification. He says, Beloved, now... We are children of God. We're already beloved by God. Something has already happened. Now we are. This is a new reality. We have been justified by faith. That means we have been declared not guilty. Even though we have sinned against God because Jesus died and took our punishment for us, we have been declared not guilty. The price has already been paid. The debt's already been collected. And God takes the the gavel and bangs it down and says, I declare he or she is not guilty based upon what my son has done for them. That means we are made right in the eyes of God. Already, as a Christian, if you're born again, you've already been justified. That is your new state. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have placed your faith and your hope in the Lord Jesus, you are no longer condemned in God's court of law. You have been justified. We've heard Steve mention this before several times, just as if I'd never sinned. God says, I know you've sinned, but now Jesus has died. It's just as if you've never sinned. Justification. But also through glorification. Verse 2 goes on to say, he says, Now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet. So something's already happened, but yet something has not yet happened. What we will be. 
Something's going to happen to us in the future. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. He says, we know that when he appears, again, not if, but when, the reality, when he appears, we will be like him. We are awaiting a glorious transformation, church. We will be like Him. That means that we will be transformed. That means that we will be physically free from the effects of sin. No more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. We will be like Him. Those things will be gone. Physically free. We will be spiritually free. No more temptation. No more sin. No more shame. No more guilt. No more shrinking away. We will be transformed from the presence of sin. No more. We will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. We will see Him. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face, the One who saved me by His grace, and when He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. I will see Him just as He is. And you will too if you put your faith in Christ. I will see Him. We, we, church, we who remain, not them who have left Christ, but we who remain and abide, we will see Him just as He is. Is. And that gives us hope, which leads to the last thing. We become like Him, not only through justification, what's already happened, and through glorification, what will happen. We become like Him now through sanctification. Being set apart, being, being made sacred is the root word of that. It's the process of where we become more like Him. Verse 3 says, Everyone who has this hope, not everybody does. Not everybody has this hope in Christ that we will see Him just as He is, that we will become Him. Not everybody has that hope, but those who do. Everyone who has this hope, this hope that's what? Fixed on Him. Your hope is, is anchored on Him. It's anchored in Christ. It's not in your goodness of saying, I do more good things than I do bad things. I'm okay. Or not judging, saying, well, I'm not as bad as such and such. It's not based on your upbringing. Your hope's not based on, well, I had Christian parents. I had Christian, you know, my, my, my grandfather was a preacher or all these things. You know, those things are great. I'm glad you've got that heritage and that legacy. But what about you? What about you? Are you born again? Have you put your hope in Christ? Everyone who has this hope fixed on Him. And you have that hope fixed on Him, He says, purifies Himself. Purifies, that's present tense, that's ongoing. That means we are constantly seeking by this hope. This hope changes us now. This hope of what will happen does something to us in the present. And we purify ourselves, present tense, just as He is pure. Jesus is the standard. How do we know what's pure, what's impure? We look to Christ. How do you know if you are purifying yourself, you become more like Jesus in the way you think, the way you act, the way you treat others? You purify yourself when you become more like Him. 
Because he says, we purify ourselves just as he is pure. We will see him in the future just as he is if we now in the present purify ourselves just as he is pure. The reality of what's going to happen in the future is based on the current reality. Are we purifying ourselves? Are we making ourselves more holy? By abiding in him and staying true to him and his doctrine and his people and staying committed to living this holy lifestyle. See, the future, just like the past, ought to affect the present. So let the hope of Christ's future return drive you to pursue righteousness in your life. I hear a lot of times people talking about family resemblances, and I look around this church and I see family resemblances. I see some of you and I look at your kids and I'm like, yeah, I can see I can see, or even grandkids. You know, even in, in, in my family, there are people that, that point out the distinctions. You know, Logan looks like you, or Kylie looks like Mommy, or, you know, but what's so funny, some people will say, you know, Logan looks just like you. And other people, I had somebody ask me recently, do, are, do any of your kids even look like you at all? You know, they all look like Nancy. And it's, it's, it's funny. Brother Tim Christopher saw uh, Logan the other day, and he said, man, he looks just like your dad. And I said, that's funny. I think Jaden looks more like my dad than, than any of them. But then on Nancy's side of the family, they think Jaden looks like her Uncle Willie, you know, when he was little. And so there's all these subje- uh, subjective distinctions. And, and we, we're pretty sure they belong to us because they look like us or look like some of our family. But you know what? There is an objective proof birth certificates there is something in writing that says we are their parents and they are our children and wouldn't it be great if there was something in writing that indicated that God was our father we are his children the Bible says that there is There's something called the book of life the Lamb's book of life and whoever's name is written in that book is saved whoever's name is written in that book it's the birth certificate that God is our Father, and we are His children. So there is objective proof, but for the meantime, all we've got to go on is subjective. We look and we say, is there a family resemblance? When they look at you, do they say, oh yeah, I see they are God's child. By the way they live, the way they treat others, the words they say, their attitude, the way they present and carry themselves, I have no doubt he or she's a Christian family resemblance do you have that or not as we think about these things I want to sum it up like this realization realizing who we are in Christ realizing what he's already done for us and anticipation of what Christ will do when he returns equals motivation now the realization What's already happened? Anticipation, what will happen? Now should change us. The children of God should resemble Him now. And our faith and our hope and our love should motivate us to abide in Him, pursue righteousness, purify ourselves. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before You so grateful, Lord, that You love us. We know we don't deserve it because every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. We all deserve punishment. We all deserve to be condemned. But if we are in Christ Jesus, 
There's no condemnation. You provided a way for us to be forgiven, to be set free, to be adopted. And that way is through trusting in Jesus, abiding in the truth of that gospel message that Christ died for sinners, that Christ rose again. Jesus is coming back. And in the meantime, I stake my claim on Him. My anchor holds within the veil. I trust in Jesus. God, it is my prayer that everyone in the sound of my voice has that faith, has that degree of trust, because that that is the only thing, according to your word, that is the only thing that saves us. We are justified by faith. It happens through your grace, God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move today like the wind, that you would just blow through our presence. We can't see you, but we know where you've been because we see the effects. We pray for new birth today, God. We pray that it would happen, that sinners would be brought to life. Those in darkness would see the light. They would profess that faith in Christ. Father, it's a supernatural work to be born of you. Only you can do that. We plead today, God, that that reality would happen and that would lead us, motivate us to live holy, distinct, pure lives in this world, shining the light of Jesus in the midst of the darkness. Lord, through this time of decision, we pray that you move and speak that we would obey. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for you to stand as we have this hymn of decision. Jesus paid it all. Have you acknowledged that? Do you confess that, profess that? If you have never done that, now is an opportunity for you to come. The altar is open. I'm here to speak with you, pray with you, whatever the case may be. Salvation, church membership, baptism, call to ministry, prayer concern, whatever the case may be, would you come as we sing, Jesus paid it all.